When God comes to you with a word, you're to receive it and follow what he says carefully and completely. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Yes, it's time once again for Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. In a moment, we'll open up our Bibles to 1 Kings 13. Jeroboam is king at this particular time, and the Lord is about to send a man of God to him with an important message. In short, he doesn't receive it or change his ways. And Pastor Ed wants to relate this to our lives. So the next time God comes to you with a message, you'll know what to do. Chapter 13. As Rehoboam, you'll recall, chose to take the counsel of his younger friends instead of the seasoned counsel from the wise elders that served with his dad. And what was the result by taking bad counsel? The kingdom was divided and will forever stay that way through the life of the children of Israel during this time. For the next many hundred years, the kingdom's divided. No longer united under one king, but now strife and contention between 10 tribes versus two tribes. And you'll remember in 1 Kings chapter 12, in our study last time, I made, a, I, I made a mistake when I was laying before you the northern kingdom and southern kingdom and how many kings they had and how many good and bad. And some of you emailed me for that. I'm appreciative. Uh, and I want to correct it. Praise God, it wasn't a theological problem, but I apologize. I get these things mixed up all the time. So let me repeat it the right way. By the time we finish studying this part of Israel's history, the northern 10 tribes of Israel will have 19 kings, of which zero of them were good. Although there is a possibility that one king did a few good things, but for the most part, there are no good kings. Where the southern kingdom, the two tribes that make up Judah, have 20 kings by the time we end our study, and eight of them were good. The end of the history will be as, as the end of their history will be Assyria scattering Israel in 726 BC, and Judah will be, be taken captive by Babylon in 586 BC. Remember, the Babylonian captivity is the one mentioned in the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, where the walls and the temple are, re, are rebuilt. Now, before us in chapter 13 is a review of the sins of Jeroboam. He chooses not to heed the warnings of God. And unfortunately, just skip ahead to the way the chapter ends in verse 33. After this event, Jeroboam did not turn from his evil way. But again, he made the priest from every class of people for high places. Whoever wished, he consecrated him. He became one of the priests in the high places. And this thing was the sin of the house of Jeroboam so as to exterminate and destroy it from the face of the earth. Pick up with me now in verse 1, how the chapter starts. Behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord, and Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. 
And he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places and burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. Verse 3. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. So it came to pass, when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God, who cried out against the altar in Bethel, that he stretched out his hand from the altar, saying, Arrest him! And then his hand, which he stretched out toward him, withered, so he could not pull it back to himself. The altar also split apart, and the ashes poured out from the altar, according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, Please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me, that my hand may be restored to me. So the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him and became as it was before. Verse 7. Then the king said to the man of God, Come home with me and refresh yourself, and I'll give you a reward. But the man of God said to the king, If, I were to, if you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. In the midst of this eve, the beginning of this evil reign of Jeroboam, a man of God is sent to him. And this is really great news. And it's a reminder to us all that God still has faithful men and women, even in the midst of darkness and difficulty. At times we get involved in such difficult situations or we watch too much of the news and we see too much of the hopelessness and all we hear is bad news and we may wonder, where's the voice of the Lord? Where's the people loyal to God? And throughout the Bible, God reveals to us that he always has a group that remains faithful to him even in the midst of chaos and confusion. If you like to write in your Bibles and you want to think next to the word in verse 1, a man of God, you can write next to it the word remnant. That's a phrase that's used often in the Bible to describe a small group of people that remain loyal to God when the rest of the people have turned their back on God. And these are, this man of God at this time is remaining loyal to God. And there he comes to Jeroboam sacrificing beside the altar that he built. This wasn't indicated or instructed by God. He built the altar and this unmanned name an uh, unnamed man is sent to him. So he comes to Jeroboam, who has appointed himself a priest. He has taken upon this false religious system to keep the people under control. And the prophet declares to him this interesting thing. You want to circle it in verse 2. He prophesies that this king is coming, and he names him by name. The king is named Josiah. What's powerful about this word is that this prophecy comes 200 years before Josiah is born. So you know the man is coming with a word of the Lord. And he names the king Josiah. And he warns Jeroboam that the evil that he's instituting will continue on until Josiah comes. And when Josiah comes, he is going to, to deal with all the issues. And I would say that in verse 4, Jeroboam now heard the saying of the man of God, and he cried, who cried out against the altar of Bethel, and he stretched out his hand from the altar saying, arrest him. That's his response. Let me just say that when God gives you a word from, he sends a word from himself to you, 
the best response is to receive it, not to, to con- try to control it. And arrest him. How dare you speak against me, he says. Arrest him. And as he did, notice, his hand, which he reached out probably to do something like this, withered so that he couldn't pull it back to himself. I mean, God is trying to get Jeroboam's attention here. He sends him a man with a precise message, speaking about this king that's going to come, who will rule in Judah while Israel's being destroyed. Jeroboam's evil ways through the kingdom of Israel would become so ruined by idolatry that the kingdom will be wiped out and disappear in a few hundred years. And his response is, get rid of him, destroy him. And God withers his hand. And notice, the altar, it says, it was, as, it was, as it was said in verse 5, split apart. The ashes were poured out. And the king answered now in verse 6 and says, you know, pray for me, which is really no prayer. It's no real spiritual prayer. He just wants his hand back. So he says, pray for me that my hand will be restored. And the man of God entreated the Lord, and the king's hand was restored to him, and it was, became as it was before. And then he invites the prophet into his house. He wants to influence him in some way, maybe bribe him. And at the end of verse 10, as the the man of God does not go home with him, we read no mention, nor will you read any mention, of Jeroboam turning from his sinful ways. No conviction of sin, no repentance, no change. As a pastor involved in many people's lives and also observant of many people's lives, there have been times in the ministry entrusted to my care where I'll watch a situation and I'll I'll ask either out loud to the Lord or just in my heart, what will it take for that guy to repent? I mean, you look at what's happened in their lives. You look at what the results of their bad decisions have been. You, You see where they are. They're, they're, they're broken. Uh, they're destroyed. They're a shell of the person that I used to know. Their countenance that once was so bright and happy for God, it's, it's angry and twisted and, and it's aging. And, and you wonder, and then, and then we, as we pray for people during our pastor's meeting, and names repeatedly come up of people in our congregation that, that one pastor's poured into and it's gotten worse. And another pastor's poured into and they turn their back. And another pastor's gone in and, and, and they're mad at him. And, 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 and all, the things that, all the things that happen. And then I just, I wonder, what's it going to take? What's it going to take for that man or that woman to finally just say, look, you, you know, your hand is withered. Your life is withered. You, as my friend Pastor Jason Vanderveer from Parker once said, you know, as you're looking at someone's life and they're trying to explain to you why they're making all their decisions, uh, I picked up from some, something from him uh, that he uses, and I use it on occasion now. You have the opportunity, you have a relationship with someone, and they're just all messed up and they refuse to repent. He asked the question, how's that working out for you? And it's a real question to ask, isn't it? How's it how are your decisions working out for you? I mean, God has given you the freedom to decide such and such, and, and he's given you the freedom to do this, and, and there you are, even with the withered hand. You're try- and even after God restores to you, your hand back to you, there's still no change. And instead, he's trying to manipulate this man. The man of God told the king, you know, in verse 8, even if you were to give me half of your house, I'm not going in with you. The Lord told me not to. It was commanded me by the word of the Lord. 
You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. And, and he went out another way and didn't return. Not only do we see Jeroboam unrepentant, but we see the man of God tempted. He watched all this happen. He gave the word. He saw the withered hand. He saw the altar split in the ashes. He saw God fulfill his word. And then he prayed and God answered him. And in the heat of or in the midst of victory, Jeroboam, a king, I mean, this would be the equivalent of, you know, the president of the United States there standing with you, somebody in tremendous power saying, hey, thanks for what you did. Come home with me. But you know the Lord said, don't go home with him. I don't know about you, but I think I'd be tempted. I think I believe God. I, I mean, I, I hope I would take a stand, st strong stand after seeing everything that God is doing. But then if the number one guy in the whole world invited me home, I'm like, I don't know, maybe for a little bit, you know, and have to process it. And I think that the Lord wants us to know that the, our enemy is clever. He's clever. And he, we often think of hitting us when we're down, and he does. He's such a bad devil. <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> but you know, he hits you when you're going well. You're doing well, too. He hits you at the high points. When things are going well, you usually let your guard down. I mean, when you're getting beat up and kicked in the face, you get into a fetal position and you protect yourself. But when you're victorious, your hands are up. You're a victor and you're running through the finish line. You kind of let your guard down. You don't. The enemy's clever. Peter would put it this way, and he would know. Jot it down in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Be careful. Watch out for attacks from the devil, your great enemy. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for some victim to devour. Take a firm stand against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. I mean, be careful and watch out for the attacks from the devil. He's your great enemy. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Your great enemy. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the wiles of the devil. Turn over to Ephesians 6. I meant to have you turn there because I want you to write this down so you can have it in your Bible. Turn over to Ephesians 6 and I want you to circle the word wiles there at the end of verse 11. Ephesians 6, verse 11, it says that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Even you guys listening on the radio, uh, if you have an opportunity to take notes, these are good things to write down because you may forget them. And we don't use the word wiles very much, but when I give you the root word from, from the original language, from the Greek, you'll understand why I want you to write it. So just like Jeroboam, the temptations of the enemy are always clever, unique, and what Paul writes here, wily. The wiles of the devil. So circle the word wiles and write next to it methods. It's the Greek word methodias. And where we get our word methods, we also get words from this Greek word tricky, shrewd, and crafty. So don't think for a moment that you can figure out the methods of the devil. While he uses, he uses the same types of methods, the way that he twists them and prepares them for you and me are going to be different. That's why when you watch a brother fall to some sin, and you see a sister just overtaken by some sin, and your response is, you know, I don't, I don't understand how that got them. That, that's not an issue for me. You're right. That's the point. 
It's a crafty temptation for them, but the temptation is not going to come to you. You know, the devil's not going to tempt you with Brussels sprouts. That's not going to happen. There's no temptation with them. You know, you're fasting, and I'm on my eighth day of fasting. You know, the smell of Brussels sprouts is not going to, I think I'll give up on the Lord. And they go, just, you know, you know, call the show. Do you think I can give up fasting for Brussels sprouts? No, you can't. It's not a temptation. But if you have a favorite food or, you know, you, uh, you like chocolate, you know, there's going to be a chocolate fountain on your desk when you come into work because it was a special day. But you did the most sales last month and they're surprising you with a gift. And it's a whole chocolate. And they said, no working today. Just, just here's a spoon and just have at it all day. Now, that's a temptation. And maybe for you, you don't like chocolate, so you're like, well, I'm the Brussels sprouts, but you understand. You understand. So it's so important because in the battle, it's tricky and shrewd. In times of struggle, in times of anxiety, frustration, in times of peace, in times of blessing, your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion. In the, old King, in the New King James, it says, seeking whom he might devour. Your adversary. That word means your enemy. He's an adversary. He's against you. The idea is that someone that's arguing and is doing what he needs to take you down, to come at you at every turn. You want to grow. You want to be used of the Lord. You want to give God's word to someone. You want to be faithful in what he's called you to do. And then you are faithful. Your temptation, there was a temptation to get there. There was a temptation in the middle of it. And there's a temptation on the other side. That's where this young man is. It's a good time for him. We need to be sober and watchful and resistant and vigilant. Yes, there'll be the attacks. But we overestimate and we overvalue the power of the devil to tempt you, and instead of valuing the power of God to protect you. Because you got the roaring lion, the devil walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom. But you and I, in our lives, we have, uh, we have pledged our allegiance and surrender to not a roaring lion, but to the lion of the tribe of Judah, who gave his life for you, who sacrificed all, who protects you. And uh, we would do well to remember him and his power far more than the devil. But not to minimize the devil. He's a wily, methodical, evil being that wants to destroy you and me at every turn. Pick up now in verse 11, now back in 1 Kings. Now an old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And they also told their father the words which he had spoken to the king. And their father said to them, Which way did he go? For his sons had seen which way the man God, of God went who came from Judah. Then he said to his sons, Saddle the donkey for me. So they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it. And went after the man of God and found him sitting under an oak. And he said, Are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. Then he said to him, Come home with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you nor go in with you, neither can I eat bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there, nor return by going the way you came. And he said to him, I too am a prophet as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, bring him back with you to your house that he may eat bread and drink water. But he, what does your Bible say? Lied to him. Um, wow, a man of God lying? 
an old prophet. And he went back, verse 19, with him and ate bread in his house and drank water. What did I just finish sharing with us and teaching us? The devil is methodical. This is the exact same temptation, except it's got a little twist to it. But it's the same thing. What's the word from God? You can't eat here. It's pretty simple. So therefore, the answer of any invitation is no. And yet in the dialogue, something was added. This older prophet comes, hears of the great deeds of this young man, and then invites him over. The prophet refuses. Why? Because the Lord told him not to. That's a good beginning. No. But the older man, he uses this lie in verse 18. I'm a prophet. So he tries to relate to him. And just like you, and an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord. He gets spiritual on him and tries to lay on him some spiritual heavy trip that makes him second guess that he heard from the Lord. And what does he say? An angel told me. Well, let me give you a little insight on what you're supposed to do when an angel comes with something with somebody says, you know, an angel, so when I, I talk to angels, or angels aren't as popular as they were a few years ago, but uh, there was a time when it was angels everything, angels earrings, necklaces, books, movies, you know, little spinners for your wheels on your car, I mean, angels everything. And, and there was a big emphasis. Now, I don't see it so much anymore, but you're still gonna hear of it. So take, take with me, uh, go with me to Galatians chapter one, and let's read what we learn in the first century that's still relevant today, because, the entire cult, the entire Mormon cult, uh, what is known as the Church of Jesus Christ's Latter-day Saints, which really isn't a church, and it's not of Jesus Christ, their whole theology is built on a man by the name of Joseph Smith that said he received a word from an angel. And the angel even has a name, Moroni. And Here's the word of the Lord to someone that comes with an, a message that says it's from an angel that contradicts the scriptures. Here's what the Bible says. Galatians chapter 1, verse 8. But even if we, or a, what does your Bible say? An angel. Say with me. Even if we, or an from heaven, preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if some, anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Even if an angel is used to validate the message, even if you see an angel in a dream, even if you see some image of an angel at the foot of your bed, even if angels are hovering around your house in the clouds and they share something with you, that is contrary to the written word of God and the absolute only one gospel, that there is only one true gospel, even though there are many messages that, proclaim, that, that claim to be the gospel. We are to reject it. You are to reject it. We're partway through a message from Pastor Ed Taylor called Following God's Word Carefully and Completely. And this is Abounding Grace. 
To give this a second listen, just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through the Calvary Church app. You can search for Ed Taylor to download that today. Look for our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Stitcher. Well, today we're excited to tell you about a book written by Greg Laurie titled World Changers. Just like in Bible times, God is still transforming His believers into world changers, and that can include you. He may call you to a foreign land to be a missionary or leave your comfort zone to try something you've never done before. But whatever the case, it's by God's power working through you that will impact not only you, but those you encounter. Read more about this in World Changers, and we'll gladly send you a copy for a donation of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. Thank you for remembering us in your prayers and your giving to the Lord. Your gift, whatever the size, will serve to help us reach thousands with the message of Christ. Reach us toll-free at 877-30-GRACE. Again, 877-30-GRACE. And if you'd just like to make a donation and you're not interested in the pick of the month, you can just go online to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Connect with us through social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. There's a link to each page at AboundingGraceRadio.com. We've got another study in First Kings to look forward to tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado, and online at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Abounding Grace Radio.